Tell him I should have put in an account with the, with the buck while I use it. CB30, what's happening? Edward, hey, hey, hey. Thank you guys for uh, tuning in. Yeah, all is good. I have no complaints. I have no complaints. But you DM the person? Yeah. Donald, what's happening? Carrie, hey. Oh, but I'm, I'm gonna get it together. I'm gonna get it together. Big B, thank you. Damn, bro. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> you sure you're not Haitian? No, I'm not Haitian. As, as far as I know. I, as far as I know, I'm not Haitian. <laughs> uh, shit. These are they hate. Every time I need to go to it, I can't go to it. Inbox. Okay, here we go, here we go. All right, here we go, here we go. CB30, I appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to get it together. Where is it? Where is it? There we go. All right, I found my program. That's what I was looking for. All right, let's get into it. Oh, shit. Okay, everybody on the main channel. Mika, hey, what's happening? Uh, Shogun, no delays, it's, it's me. Candace, I'm sure I'm not Haitian. Last time I checked, cupcakes, hey. Ryan, hey. Oh, shit. Y'all can hear me? We're good? We're good to go? All right, all right. My bad. I got too many things going on in my head. So let's get right into it. Uh, welcome back to another episode of the Morning Star uh, show featuring Superslot 75. Uh, let's see here. Shout out to uh, producer Cindy Ashby. Uh, visit us on www.onthewakeupradio.com. We're on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and now iHeartRadio for the replays. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to do a, a call in tonight. I'm not sure, but I'll post the Google number uh, and, you know, after an hour or so. Uh, find me on YouTube under SuperSlot75. Backup channel is Heavily Flawed Individual. Merchandise is always on teespring.com forward slash super slash 75. Rallo, appreciate it, brother. Thank you. Patriots are going to win, okay? They're going to beat the Titans. At, at the very least, they'll, they'll beat the Titans. But I appreciate the super chat, brother. Um, also, please feel free to donate any amounts that go to a website and airtime. It's labor of love, but we still live in a costly world. If you appreciate the free content, please help us keep the message uncensored and free. You can always donate through PayPal at onthewakeupradio at gmail.com. All right, so I got, I think, three uh, 
pretty good ones that I picked out for our breakdown tonight. Uh, so we're going to get into it. The first one, uh, I, I missed it in the theaters. I had every chance, uh, every intention to go see it. Uh, we're going to talk about Ad Astra. That is the Brad Pitt space flick. And if you like space flicks like I do, you know, um, going back to uh, what, Space Odyssey 2001 and Gravity and all those uh, moody, right, theme-heavy space flicks, I, I like that stuff. So Ad Astra, Brad Pitt, uh, Tommy Lee Jones. Now, it's a pretty simple premise in this movie. At the end of the day, uh, Tommy Lee Jones's character is God. Brad Pitt is Jesus. Okay, and because you see, you hear, you see, and hear of all the works and wonders of God, aka Brad Pitt's father Clifford, but you never see him in the physical. So they send the son to go find and go talk to the father, which is Brad Pitt, with a character named Roy. All right. So keep that in mind as I go through this breakdown, because that's basically what this is. Because at the end, you'll see why I put uh, how I shaped it the way it is. All right. So uh, let me see. No, I'm not Jamaican, Edward. I'm not Jamaican. Y'all want to? Y'all want to make me a Caribbean so bad? <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Ad Astra. Ad Astra. The Latin phrase. Per aspera ad astra, meaning through hardships to the stars. Uh, then also there's a, a monologue that we are the world eaters. And they basically have uh, consumerism has consumed planet Earth and they've spread out throughout the solar system to find other planets to cohabitate. OK, so. we The opening scene, Roy McBride is, is having a psych evaluation. And he's approved. All right. So Roy's narrating uh, before his uh, walk into the uh, International Space Station. So then there's a power surge that comes from out of space, destroys the station and forces Roy to have to jump from the International, International Space Station back into uh, into the atmosphere. All right. So then he lands, opens his parachute. There's a hole in it. And then he lands and he blacks out. OK. So then news of this power surge uh, wreaks havoc on Earth. Uh, the surge is look, it has been deemed as from outer space. OK, Roy's debriefed for his next mission. His pulse rate is key. It never rises over 80 BPMs. OK, Roy is shown a spectrograph on Neptune. It is the origin of the surge. He's asked about the Lima project. Roy's father, this is Tommy Lee Jones's character, was the astronaut on that project. He was the commander uh, of the crew on the Lima project. 16 years after his ship launched, it disappeared. Okay. He's asked about his feelings over his father's absence. He's told they believe his father is alive on Neptune. And the surge is an antimatter reaction. The Lima project was powered by antimatter and Roy's father was in charge of it. The constant surge of antimatter threatens the future of the entire solar system. Roy is asked to go to Mars to send a personal message via laser to the to his father at the Lima on the Lima project. 
Okay. The base on Mars was the only one not destroyed by the surge. The need Roy to send a message to his father to track him. There's an ulterior motive that the uh, that the uh, United States United States Armed Forces. This is who he works for. The United States Armed Forces Space Division. Now, did we not have Trump just recently fund the Space Force? I mean, this all started with Reagan back in the 80s with Star Wars. But did we not just have Trump fund the Space Division program? All right. So this is let's drop in hints. Okay. Uh, Roy watches old messages from his father. Roy meets Colonel Pruitt. The Colonel knew Roy's dad. Okay. Colonel and Roy have small talk. Uh, Roy says he thinks his dad is dead. Colonel says he thinks his father is hiding from them. Roy sends a message to his ex, well, his, his, his estranged wife. During Roy's narration, he admits to compartmentalizing everything. Roy boards a commercial flight to the moon. A commercial flight to the moon. There are war zones on the moon over mining districts. So far, 43,012 people have died from the surge on Earth. Roy asks the colonel the last conversation he had with his dad. His dad called the colonel a traitor for leaving the project. There are pirates on the moon. It's a complete war zone. Roy spent three tours in the Arctic Circle when giving his background to his escort. There's an airport on the moon. There's an Applebee's. Uh, so Roy, the colonel, and the crew are attacked by pirates on, on, on moon rovers. So they're driving, they're riding on the moon, and here comes like these three rovers, and they're shooting lasers at each other, right? <laughs> um, colonel, uh, so they, 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 they escape. Uh, the, after, when they get to the, the, to, the, to the dark side of the moon, that's where they're going to, the dark side of the moon. The colonel tells Roy he, wasn't, uh, he won't be able to make the trip to Mars. He gives Roy his space comm and classified intel. Colonel Pruitt is taken in for emergency surgery. The trip to Mars will take 19 days. Roy discards his mood stabilizer pill. He watches the intel Pruitt gave him. The report says Clifford, his father, purposely disabled all comms after an SOS was sent. The mission is to find and kill Clifford to stop the surges. This is why they want him to send a message to track the, his father. Clifford was the first man to Jupiter and Saturn. The crew received a distress call from a Norwegian biomedical ship. So on their way to Mars, they, they come across this, this ship given a distress signal. They board the ship. Tanner McBride. Uh oh, wait a minute. Yeah, the border ship Tanner, Roy, and another guy, right? So they're in the ship. One of the guys gets killed by an experiment, an experimental baboon. One of the baboons, two of the baboons get loose and they kill everybody in the ship. So one of the three guys gets his face eaten off and his arm eaten off by the killer baboon. Uh, Roy takes an impromptu psych evaluation after that. Roy admits he's angry that his father took off and left the and left. The pain prevents him from forming relationships. Doesn't know how to get past it. He doesn't want to be that guy. Doesn't want to be his dad. Roy has to land his ship because the co-captain froze up. Roy meets uh, Helen Lantos. She's the director of operations. So they finally land on Mars. 
Roy reads his pre-written message to his father. The next message, Roy goes off script and crafts his own personal message to Clifford. He thanks him and says he hopes they can reconnect. And then Roy gets sent back to a uh, psych evaluation. His father answers. His father answers. Roy's uh, blood pressure is elevated. Roy fails his psych evaluation. Roy is sent back to the comfort room and then is visited by Helen. She was born on Mars. She tells him they're going to retrofit his ship for deep space, deep space exploration with nuclear munitions. It's a search and destroy mission. She demands to know from Roy if they're going to die. She tells him her parents were also on the Lima project. Roy comes clean about the origin of the surge. Helen tells Roy what really happened to Clifford. He listens to the mayday from the Lima project and watched a message from his father. Clifford killed the crew under the active mutiny and disabled the life support systems. The crew tried to commandeer the system. Clifford says he pumped he purged the innocent with the guilty. The space comm covered up the, the tragedy and then they made his father a hero. Okay. Clifford murdered Helen's parents and she tells him it's now his burden. Sins of the father. Sins of the father. Okay. Have visited visited upon the son. Right? Roy then asks Helen to help him get him on a ship. Helen gets him on a ship via an underground map to the launch pad. Roy says he will deal with his father. Roy breaches the ship under threat of being killed. One of the crew members is killed during a secondary boost. During a tussle with this, another crew member, the cabin is compromised and the air is contaminated from a breach. And the two remaining crew members asphyxiate, leaving Roy alone to pilot the ship, the Cepheus, to Neptune. The same actions and circumstances his father took Almost. Okay. So the son is becoming the father. 79 days till it, uh, to Neptune. Roy receives a final message from his uh, estranged wife. Roy enters Neptune's signal zone. Roy admits he's terrified to confront his father. In the end, the son suffers the sins of the father. Roy enters the Lima and finds all the dead bodies. And then the Nicholas brothers are playing on the, on the flat screen. Roy arms the nuclear payload. And his father calls out to him. Clifford tells Roy the last few tried to escape and caused a meltdown. Roy tells his father he's here to fix it and to take him home. Clifford says, "There, this is my home. You talking about Earth? There was never anything for me there. I never cared about you, your mother, or any of your small ideas. For 30 years, I've been breathing this air and never not once thought about home. This is his father telling him this, okay? He says he found his destiny, so he abandoned his son. Clifford is still stuck on finding intelligent life. So this whole Lima project was about finding intelligent life, okay? Clifford then tells Roy he admires his courage for coming alone. He wonders what they could have accomplished together. So what ended up happening during his time, the crew examined the data and found no other forms of life. They quit. They wanted to go back home. And Clifford said, no, we, we have to keep looking. Okay? Clifford tells Roy, you can't let me fail. Clifford tells Roy, you hadn't. Now we know we're all we got. 
there's no no there's no life out here. This is it. It's just it's just us humans. Okay. Clifford then arms the nuke. Roy and Clifford spacewalk back to the Cepheus. Clifford purposely jettisons his uh his jets backwards, pulling Roy, who's tethered to him, and they spin out of control. Clifford tells Roy to let him go. Clifford begs Roy. He says, unhook me, son. Let me go. And they're literally spinning in space. Roy chooses not to be like his father. He unhooks him. So now he can finally embrace the idea of relationships and the meaning of existence. So Roy floats floats back to the Cepheus. His father's voice says, you're gathering my work, I see. We're a dying breed. Roy then pours over the images his father had taken. Roy then uses a nuclear blast to propel his ship back to Earth. He's approximately 2.714 billion miles from Earth. 80 days later, Roy lands back on Earth. He has a psych evaluation, says he's not concerned about the future. Roy is sitting in a coffee shop and his estranged wife walks in. He says he he will rely on those closest to him and he will share their burdens as they share his. He will live and love. That's Jesus. Jesus and God. Ad Astra. That is the theme. Not crazy deep, but it was pretty obvious the theme of this movie. I liked it. It was kind of a, you know, it had its moments. The music, the, the soundtrack of this theme was, was, was really thumping. So it really made the tension uh gravity you know it was very very gravitas yeah, so I, I liked it um i hate that i missed it in the theaters it is what it is all right so that was at astra <clears throat> so let's get on to the next space flick now this one's way way deep whoa we got to get into this one babylon ad vin diesel babylon ad and um So here is a term I would I would have you all look up. It's called parthenogenesis. Now I've spoken this thing before. Parthenogenesis is the, the idea, belief that women uh, were able to basically um, fertilize themselves, their eggs, and give birth without the semen from a man. Now there are reports of women in Africa, young women actually uh, experiencing parthenogenesis with their hymens attached. Uh, the last story I, I came across was from 2017, that there's a, a scores of young women winding up pregnant with their hymens attached. No sexual intercourse. Now, I'm not the biggest proponent of the whole we came from women, I, you know, if you want to believe the whole androgynous Creature being is mainly women, and then it split into. I, I don't. I don't want to get into that. I'm just telling you what the theme of this movie is, or, or one of the themes. Okay, and then I'll break down later why they chose this particular theme. Some some of the, the imagery. All right. So basically, you have Parthenogenesis, you have the Virgin Mary, you have the Immaculate Conception. Okay, now. Also, there's 15 minutes missing footage from this movie. 
this movie was a lot of uh it was it was it was a it was a hard movie to make a lot of problems they had on the set a lot of friction between vin and the writer and the, and the director even the director hates his hates this movie so there's a lot of things they cut out that unfortunately we don't know what else they're going to show into this but they gave us enough to, to run with so this came out in 2008 it's from the book called babylon babies all right so let's get into it all right so there's a narration about save the planet it says god gave us what we have to do. It says, God gave us what we have to see how we'll use it. Okay. Turop, the main character, is Vin Diesel's character. He has a vision during a shootout and awakens six days later, earlier in New Serbia. He's wearing an Africa shirt. Africa. You know how um, Africans say Africa, right? In their accent. So he's wearing a shirt with that particular dialect, which was awfully, awfully odd. That's the, that was the first thing that stood out to me. I'm like, why is he wearing an Africa shirt, right? So then he has a a Sloan tattoo in Russian. Now, mind you, this is he, he he's you know he's a mercenary that lives in Russia, so there's this Russian culture, a lot of Russian symbology into this. Okay, he tracked down an Asian dude that sold him a, a bad pistol. Now the sigil tattoo on his neck. It's from the gate of the Necronomicon. If you read the ne- Necronomicon, then you know that sigil. You know exactly what I'm talking about. It is a protective symbol symbolizing man, the creator, and the watchers. Okay? The tattoo on his left hand, it reads Slon. It means elephant in Russian, which stands for Solovetsky, Lager, Osobogo, Nas, Nachenia. In other words, it's the Solovsky Special Purpose Camp. That is the name for a gulag camp in Russia from 1923 to 1933. And if you know anything about the gulag in Russia back then, that was no joke. That was a death camp. It was one of many death camps in the early 20s and 30s in Russia. Okay. This is, this is in this movie. This is, you know, this is what this is. All right. <clears throat> And then later on, that symbol became adopted amongst criminals. It means death for cops from a knife. Now, getting back to the story, Carl, Carl breaks into Turop's home. Carl was sent by Gorski to hire Turop. He kills Carl and then goes to meet with Gorski. Gorski wants he wants uh, Turop to smuggle Aurora or a package to the U.S. in six days. He's given a subdermal. U.S. passport injected into his neck. Huh? Turop is dropped off at a, at a monastery in Kazakhstan. He meets Sister Rebecca. He's told to protect Aurora from seeing and hearing and feeling outside influences. They go through a market and they're being tracked. Aurora is being overwhelmed with by the surroundings of the dystopian society. Okay? Shout out to Darkman X. Hey, what's going on, brother? Ms. Naya, okay. Uh, <clears throat> Aurora has a panic attack and runs off and tells them not to go that way or they will die. There's an explosion. And then they go to a train station. Aurora tells Turop she sees two tigers. So after she, ta- after she sees the tigers, Aurora tells Turop the tigers in the cage were clones. 
because the Siberian tigers went extinct in 2017. Now, in this movie, the year is 2058. Okay. So she says they were clones. The last ones died in 2017. Turop said they were second generation clones. Aurora says they're living creatures by God. Turop says they were organic machines by man. Aurora says God made man in his image. So what man creates is also God's will. What? Turop says God must be pretty fucked up to make man in his image. Okay. They, they arrive at Vladivostok, Russia at a refugee camp. And they go to a club. And then one of the cage fighters is fixated on Aurora. He picks up on her instantly. Uh, he tells one of his buddies that he needs three passes to America. Aurora is still watching the cage fighter. Turok is then offered $1 million to abandon Aurora. These, these, uh, these hijackers are tracking them. So they approach him and say, hey, give it, we'll give you a million dollars to leave her, walk away from, from, from her. Uh, he, just, he says, no, they're, they're being chased. During the fracas, the cage fighter protects Aurora. It begins to fight Turop. Turop gets the upper hand on the cage fighter and has him in a rear naked choke. Aurora stops the fight and then runs off with the mercenary sent by Aurora's father. Father, okay? Rebecca and Turop catch up to the, refu- uh, to the, to the hijackers and they retrieve Aurora, Aurora. The trio fight to board a submarine. If you remember in this movie, the submarine came from under the ice and he had a bunch of people fighting to get on. They fight their way onto the submarine, and in the process, because uh, okay, so then during the process, as it's submerging, they're shooting people off the the, uh, the submarine. People are drowning, trying to get on under the submarine. Aurora becomes upset, and she goes to the controls and begins to operate the submarine. Now, mind you, she's never operated a submarine. She's never been on a submarine. She's never been anything near a submarine, but she knows how to operate a submarine. Okay, so then. Uh, she can feel the passenger, uh, the, the, the refugees uh, dying as they're drowning in the water. She's an empath as well. Rebecca tells Turop her behavior began to change three months prior. At age two, she could speak 19 different languages. They finally arrive in Canada, and the border is patrolled by drones. Turop is injured while destroying one of the drones. They finally arrive in Kitimat, Canada. The high priestess is told they're in Canada. This is who she's, he, she, he's supposed to return her to, the CEO of uh, Neuralite. The trio fly into New York. In their room, they learn their former monastery has been was destroyed by a missile strike. The high priestess makes a press statement. Gorski calls Turop and is told there's a tracking device in his passport, in his neck. Gorski's men and the neolites are on opposite sides of the street. The doctor shows up to the room to inspect Aurora. Aurora tells the doctor he's a bad man. He takes a scan of her and says she's more powerful than expected. Turop demands answers from Rebecca. Turop then walks in and says she's pregnant with twins. Says no one has ever, has ever touched her. Says they just want her babies. The Neolite CEO, CEO tells Turop to bring Aurora to the limo. As they walk down the, the, the steps, Turop changes his mind, shoots the guards in the, in the head, 
and is being shot at by both sides of the street. Gorski's men and Norlite's people. They're both huge gunfight in the middle of the street. One of Gorski's men fires a missile linked to Turop's tracking device in his neck. The only way to stop the missile is his death. As the missile closes in, he runs in and out of a van, closes the doors, and the missile hits the van on, upon impact. Sister Rebecca and Turop are fighting goons in, on both sides in the street. Sister Rebecca is then shot twice in the chest. Another missile is fired as it homes in on Turop. Aurora turns to him and says, I need you to live, and then shoots him in the stomach, killing him, causing the missile to miss him and strike the building, so we think. Turop then wakes up after surgery and now has a cybernetic right arm and left leg. That's Masonic. His left leg is, been, his, is replaced, but you have to see the scene to imagine what I'm saying, but his Hand leg is rolled up, left leg, that's, that's Masonic stuff. Duh, we know this already. He meets Dr. Dagenay, Aurora's father. Turop was dead for two hours and in a coma for five days, two plus five. Uh, Dr. Dagenay says he was kicked out of the medical uh, world for implanting human babies with AI. The Neolites hired the doctor to create a super a supernatural human being with a complete knowledge of the world imprinted in her memory. So he built a supercomputer to be Aurora's artificial mother. As a fetus, she learned to process information like a computer, right? So when she was born, the doctor chose to keep her and they hired Gorski to kill the doctor. The doctor wants Turop to find Aurora. He tells him she planned everything and that she shot him with a purpose. He died with his eyes open, but his brain kept recording. The doctor says they need to rewind the tape and fiddle with his memory. So then they hook him up, play back the images the moment he died, before and after. Then back, back at the uh, CEO uh, headquarters, the Neuralite CEO uh, berates her employees for failing to find a single DNA from Aurora to rebuild her. They were going to use Aurora as the basis for their new world religion. <laughs> the CEO is then told Turop's body was stolen from the morgue. Turop, Turop is being prepped for his memory read. Flashbacks are shown. They explore his childhood, his war campaigns, and his final memory of being shot by Aurora. Aurora shoots Turop. And she stopped the missile. So when we thought it hit a building, it was her actually stopping the missile. The babies are the ones that protect her from the blast. They're guiding her now. The doctor says humans have stopped evolving at a critical rate. Machines have evolved further in the past 200 years. The doctor tried to correct mankind by creating a Virgin Mary. The Neuralites found the doctor's base. Gorski is blown up by the CEO via a nuclear strike. The CEO then confronts the doctor and says she belongs to her church. The CEO then shoots the doctor in the head. Turop is taken to a cabin in the woods and finds Aurora. Six months later, Aurora gives birth. She was designed to breed a prototype. Aurora dies before childbirth. 
as she's dying, she then tells him, you're their father now. Now there's an alternate ending. The alternate ending is Turop has the twins. One twin looks like Aurora. The other twin looks like Turop. Turop is a mixed, he's a mulatto, okay, basically. And he's holding these two, uh, one white baby, one, one mixed mulatto baby. And that's the alternate alternate ending for uh, uh, Babylon AD. Parthenogenesis, people. Like I said, there's there's yeah two a few reports from 2017 about the Afri some of the African women. Don't know which country per se, but they apparently are experiencing parthenogenesis uh, as we speak. There it is. There, uh, uh, yo, eight wind eagles in the house. All right. I'm just rolling through this real quick. This is going to be a short show tonight, guys. This movie here was, uh, somebody recommended it to me because I had never seen this movie. I've seen the previews for it. Never thought about it. This movie was trippy. Holy shit. This is, this is like Fear and Loathing in, in Las Vegas. But I don't do drugs. So watching this movie, sober, it, it's, a, it's a very trippy film. A lot of, so many little messages here and there that I'm just like, wow, they're really putting this shit in there, you know? So um, let's get into it. How many? Let me see what's time. We got thirty. Wow, it's only thirty-four minutes. Holy shit! Yeah, I'm not even gonna make it an hour with this one. But oh well, let's go. Cassius is in a job interview. Cassius is discovered that he never worked at the bank he listed on his resume. Cassius is still hired by Mr. Anderson. Next morning, Cassius asks asks Detroit about dying old. As they make out, the garage door opens. So he lives with his uncle. Uh, his room is the garage. And it, yeah, the, the, this scene, the, the uncle opened the door, the garage door, when everyone's like, it's day not, daytime and everyone can see in, into the garage, his bedroom. Okay. There's a commercial for worry-free. Cassius is four months behind on rent to his uncle. Cassius goes to the gas station and tells her to put 40 on, on the gas, and he gives her 40 cents. Yikes. Cassius makes his first phone call, and it goes terribly wrong. After work, Cassius is speaking with his cousin, Salvador. Cassius goes into the company's VIP lounge. The next day at work, uh, one of his co-workers, which is Danny Glover, Tells him to use his white voice. Put some breath in it. It's what they wish they sounded like. Then the co-workers demonstrate his white voice. During a team meeting, they meet their team manager, Diana Debocherry. Debocherry, but if you write it out, it's the word debauchery. Salvador says, that's debauchery. And she says, no, it's Debo Cherry. Cassius meets Squeeze. Squeeze tells Cassius they're organizing a union to get benefits. Now, Detroit, his girlfriend, in the first opening scene, she has these earrings. The earrings on one side say murder, murder, murder. On the other ear, it's kill, kill, kill. Now, when they're out at the bar, the uh, so as, as they're driving his car, uh, he's, I guess he's so broke that when it rains, he has to have Detroit actually pull the windshield wipers 
to wipe the, the water off so he can see why he's driving, okay? So then uh, Detroit is a sign twirler. You know, the people in the corner that twirl the signs. Cash, Detroit, Sal, and Squeeze go to a bar. Four days of protest at Worry-Free headquarters against Worry-Free's lifetime labor contracts. They say it's aching to slavery. Steve Lift, the CEO, denies the allegations. The foursome discuss the black and white cultures. Cassius displays his white voice. And you have to see this movie because when it, it's basically a white guy and he, they're talking over the but it's uh, it's it's so uh, such an obviously it's it's a trippy movie. Prophet thought I see you brother. Thank you. It's a trippy trippy movie. All right. So Squeeze gives everybody union pamphlets. Serge's uncle will have to have his home foreclosed on and is contemplating with signing to worry free. He says three hots in the cot. Cassius starts racking up sales. Detroit starts working at Regal View. Regal View is the, the, the call center that they work at. Worry free is their client, is their biggest client. Okay. Uh, Detroit is wearing penis earrings. Once again, Detroit is wearing rainbow-colored penis earrings. If it's one thing I've noticed about Tessa Thompson, she's always playing these uh, really low-key, um, passive-aggressive femmes. Not even femmes, but like like a stud, almost like a dom, right? She's always like, you know, because she's with Janelle Monet. I'm, I'm can almost guarantee she's a dom. That relationship. She's always playing these like these low-key, you know, dom women, right? In, 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 in these roles. But okay, let's move on. So then the newspaper reads: the Senate clears worry free of slavery charges. There's a TV show called I Get I Get the Shit Kicked Out of Me. It's the most popular show in America. 150 million people watch this show. Every night, a white woman is punched repeatedly in the face until her nose starts to bleed. Okay. The old Danny Glover's character, he compares being a power caller to the regular callers as apples to the Holocaust. Detroit tells Cassius she thought he was going to pop up to her gallery. This is important. Detroit says, when Cassius says, you said don't come because your friends were helping. Detroit says, don't listen to what I say. Listen to what I want. (gasps) What? (laughs) Once again, Cassius says, You said don't come by because your friends were helping. She says, don't listen to what I say. Listen to what I want. Damn. Oh, my God. Okay. Moving on. Detroit is now wearing earrings of a man in an an electric chair. So imagine the death row symbol. The The guy in the electric chair, she's wearing these earrings. Okay. Then there's a billboard that shows 
the world. It says, show the world you are a responsible baby daddy. It's a picture of a black man on a couch holding a 40 ounce and a remote. On the bottom, it says, sign your family up for worry free. And then later on that night, the billboards defaced and partially covered up showing the word free and left eye has been spray painted on the billboard. The next day, Squeeze is giving the employees a rundown for the work stoppage. Squeeze gives a speech and orders phones down. Cashes has been sent upstairs to the power callers. Got a promotion. Nick, uh, Big Dog Nick Taylor's in the house. In the elevator, the voice says, you're in your sexual prime, the top of the reproductive pile. Worry Free is RegalView's biggest client. They help thousands of companies utilize Worry Free workers to improve their efficiency. They sell, they sell slave laborers to companies over the phone. Okay, That's what they do. They sell slave labor. Detroit is dressing up uh, like a man defacing worry-free billboards. When she's chased, she yells, left eye bitches. During Cash's tour, he's told workers live in the same facilities where production occurs. Lifetime contracts, so no wages are needed. That's prison. That's prison. Squeeze meets up with Detroit, says he helped organize the first sign twirlers in L.A., their first union in L.A. Her earrings are, it says, bury the rag deep in your face. So she's a low-key feminist, femme, you know, woman, okay? Uh, Cassius is late picking Detroit up. He tells her he's a power caller now. She asks him, uh, what does he sell? He avoids the question. Detroit goes on a rant about how capitalism was started by stealing labor from Africans. The next day, Cassius crosses the picket line. Tensions rise amongst him and Salvador. In the elevator, the voice says, I hope you didn't masturbate. We need you sharp today. Cassius is giving a worry-free campaign. Cassius gets a cash advance and saves his father, um, saves his uncle's house. He buys a Maserati. He buys a high-rise apartment. There's an MTV edition of Worry Free showcasing their cramped quarters. Regal View telemarketers strike has made the news. Cassius is using his white voice without even knowing it. Detroit accuses Cassius of being a scab. She says he sells slave labor. Cassius says, what isn't slave labor? Then says she ain't going to do shit with selling art to rich people. Detroit tells Cassius if he crosses the picket line, they're done. Cassius continues to get a police escort to work. His supervisor takes, uh, takes a dab of his blood after he's been hit in the head with a can. Cassius is then invited to a party by worry-free CEO Steve Lift. Here he just where everything goes left. 
First, Cassius goes to Detroit's art show. He sees Squeeze and Sal at the show. Squeeze tries to convince Cassius to join the strike. Detroit performance is that she wants the audience to throw cell phones, bullet casings, and water balloons filled with sheep's blood at her while she's performing. Then Cassius stops the performance. Detroit, Detroit tells Cassius to leave. Cassius meets Steve. Back at Detroit's event, Detroit and Squeeze make out. Steve tells Cassius to not use his white voice and to rap. Cassius performs an impromptu freestyle chanting nigger shit. Cassius then meets uh, Steve for a private meeting. He does a line of supposed cocaine, what we think is cocaine. Steve wants Cassius at worry free. Cassius then goes to the bathroom. There's a guy asking for help in the stall. The stall opens and, and, and out falls an equisapien, a half man, half horse creature. Cassius freaks out and discovers two more equisapiens and runs into Steve. Steve plays the worry-free video about evolution. Worry-free scientists create a chemical to make humans stronger, more obedient, more durable, more efficient, and more profitable than the video shows Equisapiens working their production line. Humans inhale the fusing catalyst. Then Cassius asks Steve, what did he snort? Steve tells Cassius that it was Peruvian coke. Steve tells Cassius, this is the future of labor. Wait. Steve wants Cassius to be the Equisapien MLK Jr. So all the Equisapiens are black men. If you saw this movie, did anybody catch that? If you saw this movie, did anybody catch that? All the Equisapiens are black men. Steve offers him a five-year, $100 million contract. And then after his term is up, then they'll give him the diffuser antidote special sauce serum. And he's back to normal. The catalyst works on 70% of humans once it's inhaled. Cassius calls the San Francisco Chronicle about worry-free. The reporter hangs up on him. There's a person reading the National Enquirer about horse people stealing jobs at the doctor's office. Cassius has the doctor take in Detroit take a look at his penis to see if it's gotten bigger. Cassius dropped his phone in the bathroom at Steve's and accidentally sent Detroit a video message with an Equisapien pleading for help. Cassius then asks Detroit to check his nostrils. Cassius tells Detroit he's not going back to work. Detroit tells Cassius she messed around with she messed around, but she didn't she didn't ever told him it was squeeze. That night, Detroit and her friends put a paper mache of a man pegging a horse, saying worry-free is turning workers into horses. Cassius gets on the I got this shit kicked out of me show. He's, he's become a viral sensation 
from getting hit in the head with a Coke can. Cassius has to go through three trials for them to play his equisaping video message. The next day, Cassius goes on various talk shows about worry-free and the Equisapiens. Worry-free stock prices go through the roof. Cassius meets with Sal and Squeeze. At the next protest, they attempt to stop the police. I mean, I'm sorry, they, they attempt to stop the power callers from, from entering work. Uh, the riot squad shows up and begins to beat the protesters. Cassius is then knocked unconscious and locked in the paddy wagon as he watches the Equisapiens begin to fight back. He's then freed by an, Equis, an Equisapien named Demarius. Demarius is from East Oakland. He's a nigga. And all the Equisapiens are niggas. <laughs> the next day, Cassius gives Sal his Maserati as a form of an apology. Cassius is going back to work at Regal View, and he moves back to his uncle's uh, garage. Cassius all of a sudden then bends over in pain and shows Detroit he's growing a horse's nose. He's, he has a, a horse's snout. The next scene, Cassius and the Equisapiens break into Steve's house. <laughs> and see. <laughs> Holy shit, I didn't see that one coming. Um, I I don't smoke, so this is one of those movies you have to be high to watch. But yeah, the Equisapiens are black dudes. They're all black dudes. Um, they don't wear clothes, so they run around naked and they're all buff. And they, you know, and they got you know the horse thing, you know, the horse uh, phallus. Um, wow, right, the whole slave labor thing that was pretty. That was pretty trippy. That was pretty trippy. And let me see where am I where am I at? How many minutes I'm into this? 51 minutes. It's nice that I wasn't high. Uh yeah, that's 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 it, guys. I'm sorry it's it it's so short. I, I really thought it'd be a little bit longer. Um I'm not really up for taking calls. Um I have a long day tomorrow. Um oh I, I let me say this before I get off. Uh, the baby, the rapper from North Carolina, he's going to have to re-up on that contract. That's why he's going through what he's going through. They want him to re-up on that contract, and he will, because he has no choice. Can I talk about the, the Iran situation? Uh, Iran, last time I checked, is still one of the one of the few places that doesn't have a Rothschild bank in it. Um, I, listen, at the end of the day, we still got to go to work the next day. Still got to pay taxes. You still got to feed yourself and your, and your family. Um, I don't concern myself with, you know, elites, the games they play at that level because that's above my pay grade. You know, here's the thing with world. Listen, the whole world war three thing, like, you know how many world wars we've had. This is like world war seven, eight, nine, or 10 at this point. Like um, the desert desert storm was a world war. Just because every country wasn't in, involved fighting, he had enough of it. Okay, so the World War Three part, like we, we're past that. You know, we've had so many world wars. So, um, you know, like we're, we're at seven, eight, nine, or ten at this point. 
So yeah, um, the baby's gonna have to re-up on that contract. And like I said, he will because he has no choice. Um, he's fucked. He's fucked every which way and on Sunday. He's so done. Um, because at the end of the day, if he doesn't, he's gonna sit in jail. But he, he you'll watch when the next few weeks as this case dissipates and gets knocked down to mis- misdemeanors or it gets thrown out. That's when you'll know he re-upped on his contract. He has no choice. Okay? So, who the baby... It don't At this point, he'll give up anybody. Whoever's left in his family. You know, and he's going, then he's going to have to do some things with his damn self. So, you know... Mind you, this is a dude that killed somebody. This is the same dude that performed, mind you, in his underwear for, for record execs. So, that tells you he'll do anything. This dude performed in his underwear... For the ANRs when he when he got signed, so um, he'll he'll do whatever at this point. Um, uh, you know, Meg is the next the, the next the next big thing. So, you know, she she's being a good girl. She's, she's being properly rewarded. You know, but I feel bad for these kids because their contracts ain't what it used to be. It ain't what it ain't what it used to be. You you don't get the same run out of it. Like you did 20 years ago, so you know um, it is what it is. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna ramble on here too long. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. My movie breakdown. Sorry, it was kind of short, but you know I'll try to make it for next time. Um, yes, Edward Bailey. I will sit down and watch Body and Soul and the other ones, but I'll do Body and Soul for sure. Yo, yeah, Dame Dash with the R. Kelly thing. Dame Dash has no integrity. That he has no honor. He has no honor. Like you've been milking this Aaliyah thing for 20, 25 years. You know, but it, you know. So that's what they do. So with that being said, let me get out of here. Um, thank you guys for hanging out. Everybody that super chatted Big B and CP30. Uh Rallo, thank you. Thank you for the super chats, guys. So uh six six six, yeah, triple six part avenue central. <laughs> So, yeah, I'm going to get out of here. You guys have a good night. Peace.